Welcome to Home Ice Advantage. This is, of course, Colin, but I'm really just here to introduce an episode today. Today, I have an interview with John Michael, who was a young 18-year-old reporter covering the newly relocated Carolina Hurricanes in Greensboro. He was actually a UNCG student while covering the team, and he has some great stories, whether it's Paul Maurice, Jim Rutherford, I mean, just the entire organization through those first two years, and including when Wayne Gretzky came to town. So... Please like and share. As always, check out the link below for merchandise. Please support the show. Would really very much appreciate it. But let's get into the interview. The first question is actually super simple. Just how did you find yourself covering the team? Um, absolutely. Uh, so I grew up in uh, Florida near Tampa mm-hmm. and uh, came to UNCG for college and uh, got into journalism about midway through my freshman year. And so I took a journalism class in my sophomore year, um, and the, the uh, professor for the class was um, a former editorial writer at the News and Record, which was the local uh, newspaper, the Greensboro News and Record. Yeah. And so um, I took that class, and she took us on a tour of the newspaper, and uh, I ended up getting a job there uh, working in the sports department as an uh, editorial assistant. Um, through those connections, uh, working at the newspaper, I actually got in touch with covering for them and then also covering it for the fledgling, uh, ESPN.com. Um, <laughs> different times, was, <laughs> different times, very different times, but that's how I ended up in the locker room. Did you cover them the inaugural season or the second one of 98, 99? I came in late in the inaugural season, um, mm-hmm. because I was in school and still just kind of there as a fan. And then uh, finally made some connections and got through uh, about midway through the season. I think it was February, if I remember correctly. So about midway through. And what was a normal day like covering the team? So what, like a normal game day. Can you walk me through that? Well, let me, let me clarify something here. I worked as a coverer for ESPN. I was just doing live games. I wasn't like a beat writer or anything like that. But the way it worked for me is I'd show up at the arena, pick up my press information, go down into the locker room area. Basically, the team would, prov- team would provide, you know, entire sheets of who was near a, a milestone goal, who was coming up on, you know, certain games played, things like that. So that was really easy and helpful for a young reporter. Um, and so uh, after that, I would go in and we had um, in Greensboro, this is so shameful, uh, we had tables that were set up over a section of the chairs <laughs> in the arena. So we didn't really have a press box. We just had a place they put tables we could sit at. You had like a mini uh, press row. Mini press row with all four of us. <laughs> we were all very, very good friends after a while. So we'd walk in, we'd come in. Uh, I would always grab dinner because I was a college student. And so that was wonderful. And so then uh, basically cover the game. One of the funny things I'd have to do, because as you said, this was back in the olden days, um, I would have to call in the results to ESPN as they would happen. Uh, so the way the website worked <laughs> back in this time was I would call after a goal or at midway points through each period and give a quick update, say, you know, the Canes are looking good on offense. You know, they're moving the puck really well. Um, and then, you know, if Jeff O'Neill put one home, I had to call in and say O'Neill from Cron. I'm just making up names. here, <laughs> And so um, and then give them a quick description of the goal. So basically I had to walk through 
what now takes what a quarter of a second on NHL.com. Yeah. It seems but, to automatically uh, load the second. Yeah, happens. yeah, exactly. You're like watching the game live, but I was yeah. I was the forerunner for that, I guess you could say. We would go down and I would write. I was able to write a full story uh, for ESPN.com after that. And then um, we would basically go into press, um, do interviews. Usually with Greensboro, the setup was we would always talk to Paul Maurice. And then occasionally we would get more than two players. But it was usually, you know, if you had three stars, the top two or anyone who made the list. And then, um, you know, if there was a standout we needed for another reason, like a milestone game. Yeah. Um, but those were basically the guys we would be brought out to um, outside the locker room and then have a conversation with them. Um, the opposing team would usually make one or two players available and the coach if needed. Um, and then that was it. We'd just go write our stories in the... It wasn't really a press room, but we would go write our stories, and then that was the end. And um, usually we'd pal around a little bit if we had time, but mostly everyone just wanted to get out <laughs> at the end of the night. Makes, I mean, it makes sense. You, you've already been there for hours at that point. Yeah, yeah. So Greensboro Coliseum was obviously not originally designed <laughs> to be an NHL rink. <laughs> yeah. They had hosted the Monarchs at that point for, uh, I don't know, I'm spitballing here. I don't remember off the time I had. It's like eight or nine years from them being mm-hmm. AHL to AHL. But right. there, there was definitely growing pains when the Hurricanes came in. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when the Canes came in, as I said, it, it was my sophomore year, um, the end of my sophomore year and beginning of the junior year is when they made the big transmission or the, the uh, move. Excuse me. And so uh, basically what happened was um, – yeah, like you said, there was a uh, an NHL team plopped into an arena that wasn't ready for them. Um, so things like, you know, having tables on press row instead of, you know, having a locker room area, press box, anything like that um, was a big change from other areas that I'd cover. Um, you know, there was the inf- infamous incident with Stormy uh, on the first yep. night, but we'll get to that, I'm sure. But yeah, so that was another situation where, I think the organization and Greensboro weren't quite in lockstep and that may have been what kind of led to that situation, but we'll talk more about that. Uh, But yeah, it just, there wasn't a lot of um, support in Greensboro. Uh, They had to use the tarps um, and bring them down to cut the arena in basically half and still, you know, it was tough to sell. I will say by the end of the second year, there were, a good bit of fans I'd seen at Monarchs games my freshman year who had made, you know, it, there were more of them by the end of the second year. And so hopefully the team was hooking people in, um, you know, now we've got an amazing support to the team, but um, you know, there were, there were incidents of that, but it was, it was very tough to hook the market. See, something I've always wondered is, was there any pushback from fans of the Monarchs? You know, you, our team left because of you, and yeah, it's cool to have an NHL club, but you can be here for two years, so why do we care? You know what, there actually was, and that may sound, you know, crazy, but, um, you know, Greensboro had its home, and, and these two, these teams were, or this team was coming in just for two years to, you know, everyone knew they were leaving, there was no hope of keeping them. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was a there was a bit of territorialism from the uh, the Monarchs fans I knew. I'd only gotten to know a couple of them, you know, in the freshman year. Like, it, you know, I had enough to do without going to hockey games, unfortunately. <laughs> so, yeah. 
But um, yeah, so there was a little bit of territorialism. But as I said, after that second, at the end of that second year, um, people started forgiving them, I guess, right in time for them to leave. But um, yeah, there was a little bit of pushback at first because, like you said, it, it that was their house. And then suddenly someone kicked them out for two years. And uh, yeah, it was a little it was a little rough. Yeah, something I always find funny about that is to this day, you'll find people in Raleigh who are upset that the ice caps were pushed out. <laughs> yeah, an ECHL team got pushed out nice. of Raleigh for a Stanley Cup winning hockey team. They're still like, listen, man, you, you just don't understand the jerseys. They were everything. <laughs> That's amazing. So growing pains with fans, you know, the narrative nowadays is that no one cared. That's why they, they were just trying to put a Southern spin on hockey. How true was that from what you saw? From let me let me break that down into two answers for you. On the fan side, I don't think there was ever really a demand for hockey to turn itself into something else. Um, I think that the people who were going to the hockey games, the press I was working with, um, and you know, I, I talked to fans to do you know some stories, and there wasn't a lot of you know everyone I would talk to would say they're really trying to add all this. But occasionally I'd say, do you care? And the answer was overwhelmingly no. People just wanted to watch hockey. Now, I'll flip that around on the organization. And yeah, they were desperate for anything. And they would do NASCAR nights. They would do, um, they were all over the colleges in Greensboro. Obviously, I think there's eight or nine there. So that was a big push to try to maybe get younger fans um, from the colleges. But I think... You just had a lot of kids who weren't interested. Trust me, I tried. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, but I think the organization was much more concerned about that than the fans who turned up. Now, that said, there weren't a ton of us there. But um, and so obviously the, the outreach was more for people, you know, they thought they could bring in. But I will say most of the people who showed up for Hurricanes games definitely showed up to watch hockey. They didn't come in just because it was nascar night or things like that because you could get a cheap ticket or whatever yeah well we i mean i went to games for ten dollars and so i didn't have anything i paid ten dollars for upper behind the goal and then moved wherever i felt like and yeah. so that was that was glorious i saw more hockey in those two years than you know the next 10 after getting out of college but um yeah it's i think that um the fans, the fans were hungry for hockey or the fans who showed up, you know, be they transplants or however they got in the arena. People were there to watch hockey, but the organization was really worried about trying to find a way to pull in fans. So I want to I want to stick on that for a second. So, yeah, defense the Peter Kamanos and Jim Rutherford. Uh, but it seemed as if this was a short sighted decision for them to leave Hartford when they did. Kamanos uh, mm-hmm. is famous for getting his feelings hurt and then making uh, rash decisions. So I, I think the number is like 140 days from the day they announced they were leaving Hartford to the first preseason game in Greensboro. It seemed like they were always a step behind that first season. Well, I guess the first two years, really. The whole two years, uh, it did feel that way. I think that's a good insight that they they were always... the The focus on the focus in the organization at the time was very much towards one Raleigh 
two, Raleigh, <laughs> and three, anyone we can pick up in the meantime. And so, you know, they, they plastered Greensboro with what they thought was what was wanted. I think that it was a very short-sighted move. I think you're exactly right there. I think nowadays you would see a team take two, three years to plan it out to, you know, I, I think when the Coyotes eventually yeah. leave, it'll probably be a gradual process as opposed to 140 days or whatever you just quoted. So, Are you trying um, to say that they don't want to pay, play in a college rink? I don't understand. I, this sounds fun. I saw, I saw the first picture I'd seen of that this week and I was blown away. I was in my daughter's high school auditorium today and I was like, this is about 20% of what can fit in that arena. And yeah. I was just stunned. But um, yeah, I think they'll want to get away from that eventually. But yeah, I think that the whole time that it's like the team didn't want to stop in Greensboro. And so they just kind of stayed behind until they finally got to Raleigh. I don't think that when you said they were a step behind, I think that was the case for the whole two years. It was always just get us to Raleigh and whatever it takes to get through the short term. See, one of the reasons I think that, well, I not think that, that, that Komanos rushed the decision was like, Hurricanes was not a beloved name back in the day. No. A no. bunch of people like, what, what is this? Why? Um, yeah. I, it's funny you bring up the news and record. I use the news and record and um, the news and observer for like all of my, I need to find an article from October of 97 on the hurricanes. <laughs> and when I read them, I read about the fans are like, Hey, yeah, the hurricanes is like offensive. Like people die yearly from these. What are you doing? Or with stormy when they announced he was an ice hog and everyone was like, why, <laughs> why is he a hog? <laughs> I was actually at the paper when the ice hog was announced and I was there for the first round of why it's just among, you know, a group of sports journalists just completely baffled by why we had a pig as a mascot and a hurricane as our main uh, logo. And so, yeah, I remember the hurricane thing being kind of tossed around like that. I was never one that bought into it, but yeah, there was absolutely a bit of a backlash on the hurricane's name, especially since while we get them, you know, we're not hurricane alley most of the time, especially. Um, And then with the hog once, you know, it took about three minutes for everybody in the room to go, Oh, we're like the second biggest hog farming state in the country. And so once we figured that out, it was, it was kind of an interesting ploy by them, but yeah, I, I think I was in a room full of people who were like, Oh, they, picked a pig and then oh they picked a pig because of that like uh, excuse me ice hog i apologize yeah. hey he's i apologize to come on if he tunes in i don't i don't want to offend stormy but yes an ice hog we were all very confused <laughs> but so, uh go ahead what name so they had a naming competition uh, following the announcement it's gonna be an ice hog we need a name what name would you have liked it to be you know what if if it was gonna be an ice hog i i like stormy I think it's a good idea. I think Stormy might actually make a better name for a female. But um, yeah, I like Stormy. Is that what you were asking about Stormy? No. Yeah, it's just the names. Because I can find that there was a naming competition. But I can't find any names that were actually suggested excluding Stormy. You know what? I can't remember. I honestly, I'm trying to think back and I've got nothing. And I remember being a part of that contest. But I cannot remember 
<laughs> I think the Cyclones was one of them, which we all thought was pretty funny <laughs> that it ended up being the Hurricanes instead of the yeah. Cyclones. And I remember that, oh, what was the other one? I think, honestly, I think Knights had a good run um, while we were doing it. So maybe they were just ahead of the curve by about, what, 25, 30, or somewhere like that. That's funny because uh, Pete Okamanos originally wanted the team in Vegas, too. So that... <laughs> See, there we go. It could have, it could have been, but I'm glad it wasn't. So, and but yeah, you brought up the fact that Stormy had an incident before he was announced in the preseason. You want to dive into that a little bit? Sure. Um, this was uh, at the first game, is what I was going to mention. Um, his uh, debut. Um, so on the the night of his big debut, um, they brought him to the arena, and. Um, you know, he went up in the in the rafters to get lowered down, if I remember correctly. It's been a while. <laughs> um, and let me ask you, actually, I know two stories where a mascot got um, suffocated. And I've... What a way to phrase <laughs> it, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and so Stormy, and let me, I'm just making sure, he came from the rafters in this case, right? The When he was forced to announce, he was in a Zamboni. That's right. He was in the Zamboni. The rafters was somebody else, but no. Yes. So Stormy was in the Zamboni and I couldn't remember because I actually did hear they kicked around both ideas, but it's been so long that I couldn't remember it was inside the Zamboni, but now I remember the whole story. Um, So I was at that game actually um, just as a fan hadn't even started working at the paper yet. I don't think. And so it, the Zamboni came out and it opened up and I believe what I found out later was some of the, the nitrogen that they used to cool everything, you know, to, to keep the ice cool, to, to freeze everything down, got into the part of the Zamboni that Stormy was in. And so effectively he, you know, suffocated, didn't have enough oxygen and they opened it up and he didn't move. And we all kind of wondered what was going on. And then, uh, you know, it was just crazy. Uh, so, yeah. So it was actually much worse than that. They put dry oh, really? ice in the chamber with the mascot. Oh, so they didn't even... Oh, my no, goodness. Yeah. So the dry ice literally pushed all of the air out of the chamber, suffocate, suffocating... Um, I'm forgetting the gentleman's name. It's Phil... Uh, I apologize if you're listening, sorry. But, um, <laughs> yeah, they pushed the air out and literally suffocated them. So... yeah. Did you guys in the building know like what was happening, or was it just like, oh, that's weird? Why is the Zamboni driving away? <laughs> we um, we didn't really have a clue, and and at that age, you know, it sounds weird to say that about a you know eighteen year old kid, but at that age, it was just hilarious. Like there was no, we were just wondering why it drove out, and then just drove straight back, and and it was just you know we were just making jokes about it the whole time, and then found out you know come to found out it was something you know, could have been serious, but, well, um, yeah, the, the mood in the arena was, was very confused to, to help your conscience. The actually it was the news record <laughs> reported. He was back before the end of the third period. So oh, he was, okay. I mean, it was dangerous, but he, you know, is very healthy now. It does not affect him. I actually got to know him because he was the, um, he moved on to be the Monarchs mascot, I believe. Yeah. He was the and, Monarchs mascot before and after, from what I understand. Right, right. And so, yeah, I got to know Phil um, because I did some work with the Monarchs, but that's a whole different ball of wax. It was a weird night, and then I had to 
back in the you know back in the day there was no one to call but i eventually found out from my friends at the paper what had happened but i was just there as a as with a couple of my friends from school so we just didn't know what was going on we're focusing on fan experience here with the transition from Hartford to uh, well Greensboro now really how mm-hmm. from what you saw how did the players take it guys like Deneen or Wesley or I'm not forgetting his name he held out a few seasons later how am I forgetting his name Primo yes thank you Primo um, yeah. How 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 do those players actually react? From what I mean, obviously they're not going to tell you like, oh my god, I freaking hate it here. <laughs> but I I would say this. First of all, I want to give props to Ron Francis because he was fantastic. He made himself available after every game if we wanted him. He, I mean, he was at that point in his career, you know, already a given Hall of Famer. Um, you know, there wasn't going to be any kind of question on that, and he came in and was gracious. And was extremely friendly with us. Um, getting to other guys, um, like a Deneen or a Wesley, I think that at first there was a lot of enthusiasm. I don't think the guys came down here like upset. I don't. I don't think that you know with the team moving. I, I don't know how things were in Hartford for a, for a player, but um, you know Greensboro is not exactly filled with nightlife. I know a lot of the guys ended up living in Raleigh. And making the commute um, just because they saw, you know, the plan ahead yeah. rather than get a new house in two years or whatever. And I think that drive started to wear on a lot of them. I remember talking to, I think it was Kevin Deneen, and he was saying that, you know, he talks, you know, he's been in other places, obviously, and he knows his other, you know, hockey friends. And they're 20, 30 minutes from the arena, and he's having to battle an hour and a half on a good day from Greensboro to Raleigh back then. Um, and I think the guys got a little worn down as the season went on, but they started very excited and they started very, um, outgoing. We were punchline for, you know, the big early bit there. I would say probably until like the O2 cup run when they were like, Oh my God, this could work. But, (laughs) and, um, we, we pissed off ESPN who was based in Connecticut. So they always made sure to take a jab at us. Did it ever mm-hmm. seem like that was dragging on the players later on? I never really got a sense that that was much of a bother for them. I think that in the, in the organization and within, you know, the people around them, there was a lot of positivity. And so I think that, you know, it's one of those things of being able to tune out things. Um, but as I said, I think as the year went on, uh, things just got to be harder and harder. You're showing up in crowds of that could fit in the Arizona Stadium. Um, <laughs> with and, space. Yes, with space. Oh, boy. And, um, yeah, so it does. I think it did get to wear on guys. And I remember a couple of them talking to me and saying that, it was kind of the polar opposite of your current canes. Um, You know, the guys talk constantly about being fired up when they get to the arena, you know, they come out, the fans are going nuts and, and they've often credited the fans with, you know, the home record and things like that. And I think, you know, no player is going to be going to come out and say this setup is miserable or, you know, I hate coming to Greensboro, things like that. But um, you know, it just, you know, I was I if I walked from UNCG to the Coliseum, it was 15 minutes. So I had nothing to complain about. But those guys were driving some of them 
two hours. And at the end of a night when you've just played an NHL hockey game, a two hour drive after the game is tough. Yeah. That's interesting. So the, the first year in Raleigh, uh, Raleigh, God, that's the whole point. <laughs> the first year in Greensboro, <laughs> we were, um, how do I phrase this? Not great. No. Do you think it's because players were just exhausted? Like they. Now, I'll, I'll say that I don't know what Hartford's record, record was the year before. I don't know if they were a contender or anything. They weren't even on my radar until those 140 days. Um, you know, and I followed hockey in high school, but not as much as I came to with a hockey yeah. team in my, you know. It's different with away. the local team, yeah. Yeah, two blocks away, you know, $10 tickets. But I would, you know, guys looked tired at the end of the year. And as the year went on, you could see guys get starting to drag a little. And I don't, I, you know, in the years since, I've learned that that's not technically, you know, typically how a guy will react um, at the end of a hockey season. So I think guys just got tired. They got, you know, the, the drain of not even living in the city or playing in that kind of thing really got them down after a while. And I, I think you saw with the reception in Raleigh and, you know, since then, the way we've kind of built up a, a fan relationship, that's definitely wasn't there back in the day. This one is more just like I, I, I love asking about him. I'm wondering what impression you got of Jim Rutherford, because even people in Hartford, who there was a percentage of them who hate this team. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And then there was an even larger percentage that hates Cormanos. But mm-hmm. no one, and I mean absolutely no one, has a bad word to say about Rutherford. Jim Rutherford was always very kind to me. Um, I was, you know, a little kid in, in journalism terms who got thrown into the NHL all of a sudden, kind of like Greensboro. Rutherford was always extremely kind with us. He would, um, I think he understood the importance of being connected to the area and was trying to foster that as much as he could with the media. Um, you know, and also, you know, it's a brand new market. The, the News and Observer from Raleigh had someone there every game. So it's not like, you know, they were building up a relationship that was going to end. But I think that he knew... I, I have nothing bad to say about Jim Rutherford um, off ice. I think he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he was a very nice man to me and um, definitely was friendlier than he had to be to someone in my position. So I always have respect for Rutherford. Okay. In that same case, I want to pivot to uh, Maurice, who, I mean, this man has coached more games for this franchise than anyone will ever get close to. So what impression did you get from Paul Maurice? I love the chairman. Um, Chairman <laughs> Mo, he is honestly. I I will have a hard time with Florida this year because I, I just love the guy. He was personable. He was in the similar position to myself when he was a coach at the time. I think he was, geez, middle thirties, maybe even yeah, he less, was, younger than he that. He was stupid young because <laughs> he was, and um, he he knew it, and he he was happy to be where he was. He knew it was a process i think that's one thing i always got from paul was that there was a process behind everything including the move whereas you know other areas of the team you know you're focused on marketing you're focused on getting people in doing that kind of thing i think he always viewed it as a process greensboro was a stop and they had to get through it 
but that was very much his attitude. And uh, I've got a funny story about uh, Maurice, if you'd like to hear it. I'd love to hear it. So we were organizing for our media huddle one time, and I was particularly early. Um, I'd just gotten down the stairs faster than everybody, so we were kind of milling around. And uh, he looked over at me <laughs> in front of enough people to get a good laugh, and he said, I thought people said I was too young to be here. And I was <laughs> like, oh, well, thank you, I guess. <laughs> I, I'll take that endorsement of being here early, and you're doing the same. So Paul Maurice was always awesome. He had a great attitude, understated as you'll see him now. Um, He's very dry. um, And I'm kind of, I would say my humor is probably similar to his. um, And uh, we, uh, our sense of humor. And uh, we got along pretty well for, you know, coach media relations. He was always very kind to all of us. I think we got to see the good side of um, NHL organizations just as far as a public face. Um, You know, we didn't, in two years, we knew we weren't going to get anywhere acrimonious or anything along those lines. So we had a good relationship. I want to roll back a little bit and ask you about when the team was actually going to relocate. So, I mean, Hartford was an open secret going on pretty much since when Cormanos bought the team. And I'm going to stay in Hartford for four years, but he immediately started shopping around. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think that they would actually be in an NHL team in North Carolina during that process? Oh, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I, when I came here for college, I did not have the, you know, I thought, oh, I hear there's a minor league team. Maybe I'll check them out some year. But um, no, the idea of the NHL following me from Tampa to here, um, speaking of other small market teams at the time. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I ended up in similar situations where I was able to get cheap tickets because I was one of you know, 5,000 people in the building, same way it was at the Lightning at the time. Um, but I had no clue that Carmanos would even consider North Carolina, never mind Greensboro, which was a city I'd never heard of until I started applying for colleges. Um, so, yeah, to, to say that we were all stunned, you know, even, you know, in the, in the newsroom and, um, you know, at school, people I knew at school. Yeah, yeah it, it, you know, all the North Carolinians I went to school with couldn't believe that a hockey team would come here. And that was kind of that initial shock everyone had to deal with. It, especially to Raleigh, too. No one came to Raleigh at the time. If yeah. you're coming to North Carolina, you're going to Charlotte. Yeah, you go to Charlotte, exactly. And so um, a new building will change your opinion on things, though. So Fair I enough. guess that's how it works. So... I want to talk about the second year when they actually made the playoffs. Was there a different type of excitement around the team as it was clear? It was like, oh, my God, we might actually get postseason play. I'm afraid not. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would love to say that things got electrified around Greensboro, that the city embraced them, that you know the Coliseans took full advantage of the situation. But they, I think their status as a... Uh, you know, in flux team led Greensboro, both, you know, with the citizens of Greensboro, but then also as the city, they didn't do a lot to push the hurricanes because they knew they were leaving. And so when you don't have that support from like local businesses, you don't have support from the colleges, you don't have support because you're not staying, you know, you, you see a, a big change in that. And, and yeah, I would love to say that the city locked in and, you know, it was crazy. I think that, you know, any team, you know, 
in North Carolina, we'd never had a, a real winning team. You know, I wasn't we, but um, yeah, there had been no history of pro sports in North Carolina or anything like that. And so it was, it was a big surprise um, when they moved. I think that even with the playoff run or then the near playoff run, the good season they had, um, I think that, yeah, it was, they made the playoffs the second year, right? Yeah, they got eliminated by Boston because, you know, oh, screw yeah. Boston. Exactly. Yeah, that exactly. Exact now I remember why, where my Boston hate came from originally. Um, and I, I'm sorry, the, the history is a little hazy for me. Um, no, you're fine. It's, it's been a while. Yeah. So. It's, it's only been 25 years, man. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would, yeah, I would love to say that it was a big deal, but um, I, I was making a big deal of it. And I was, you know, pushing at the paper for more coverage. But, I, you know, when everyone knows you're in flux and, you know, even at that point, months away from leaving, you know, and, you know, obviously the season it could have been weeks from leaving. You're not going to you're not going to foster that kind of support. That's I'm, OK. Hold on. Circle back. Did the news and record not want to expand coverage of the team at that? Oh, point? Oh, no. Let me let me be clear on that. Um, they expanded coverage, but there wasn't there wasn't the long-term plan to blow things out because by the time they made the playoffs and by the time we would celebrate that, they're already gone. And so we did some season ending wrap, but it was not to the extent you would normally do for a playoff team. Is there any story from those first two seasons that you think that most people don't know, but that they should regarding the team or a player or let's say personality connected to the team, whether it's Carmanos or Stormy or Jim Rutherford? Wow. I want to have something good for you. It doesn't um, have to be something good. I, I'm fine with like little, you know, Paul Maurice used to like spearmint gum. Like it's whatever. It's just little <laughs> things that fans don't know. Sure, sure. So I think one of the things that that always surprised me, and maybe this is kind of up your alley of what you're looking for, was the way that the players would take the time for the media in in a different era when there wasn't always a great relationship. And I'd like to credit Francis, as I said, and then Glenn Wesley, another stand up guy who were locker room leaders and, you know, kind of made that push we're gonna focus on that and then we're gonna finally talk about the monarchs after this but did it seem like everyone knew what their job was here was to just be be nice to the fan base be nice to the media try to gain some momentum here yes that was definitely the organization's mantra and and i'm sure the that everybody was you know beat over the head with it all the way down that this is our chance to establish in the market and maybe it's not perfect but we need to make sure nobody ever says that it's not perfect (laughs) Um, and so they did a great job and you know it was a different you know there weren't microphones every five feet and you know it was a different era as far as athlete reactions but to us in in the building they were always extremely gracious and and you could definitely tell they were trying to get hockey over in north carolina because that's you know their passion there's a reason you make the nhls you care so much about hockey and I think that there was a definite sense that they wanted to spread that around. Grow the game, which is what yeah, we always say. Just grow the game. Grow the game. Was there ever a, I don't want to call it or not specifically, but was there ever a time where an opposing team or player from an opposing team was, uh, you know, sort of disrespectful <laughs> towards the newly relocated organization? 
I think that I can I can't remember specific incidents, but I do remember a couple of guys throwing shade after losses. Um, I think I want to say the Capitals. There were a couple that made a comment, something along the lines of at least we didn't lose in front of anyone, which I thought was pretty good. I, yeah. I even at the time I That's was a like, sick well, born. yeah, touche, Capitals, touche, especially um, because it would not have been on television at the time either. Like, no, yeah, no TV, and yeah, you basically lost in front of like 500 people. So technically, if some people weren't there, it would never even count. But um, no, it's it was. Um, it was unusual. Can I ask you again to repeat the question? I'm sorry. Was there just any team or player that, you know, threw shade at the team? While oh, they were down here? that's right. That those would be the best examples or that was the best example I can think of. I do want to say as, as it comes to opposing um, team members, when Gretzky came to town, um, I pulled every string I could to, to be <laughs> in the media room and he came out. He held court. Obviously, we were all just, you know, it, you didn't know the NHL was coming. Never mind. Wayne Gretzky was going. Exactly. You know, I. Man. So um, but he was he knew you could tell he had the same opinion as the players who were there. And he knew how important it was to grow the game. He took more time with us than I can imagine he takes, um, you know, with most organizations, you know, when he's just a visiting player and didn't have a spectacular game. Didn't they lose that first game he played here? Yes. And he was extremely gracious about it. Um, again, I have nothing but positive things to say um, about everybody I interacted with in the NHL and with the Hurricanes organization. And yeah, uh, I just wanted to give a little shout out to Gretz there because he was extremely nice with all of us. And really, you could tell he wanted things to work here, even though he didn't really have a stake in it. You know? Yeah. That's actually really good to hear. It makes me like Wayne even more. Yeah, well, who could not like Wayne? I'm sure there's someone. Listen, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Leafs fans and probably exactly. a few other groups. Yeah. Listen, the Islanders got really pissy when they couldn't win another cup. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah, but I, I, I like Wayne and, and he always left a good impression. I want to finish up with the Monarchs. Um, prior, well, Comanos literally had to buy them out of the arena to be able to get the dates he wanted. But yeah. prior to that, what do you remember, um, like, the atmosphere around the Monarchs being? And do you think it was better than the atmosphere was once the Hurricanes came to town? I will say I went to one game as a freshman. So I'm more familiar with post-Hurricanes Monarchs than I am with, during like, the, the Hurricanes. But I will say that um, there was a lot of – there was a great atmosphere at Monarchs games. You know, eventually Kevin Weeks came through um, and, you know, he had a great following. Go ahead. I'm sorry. He actually came the year before the Hurricanes did as a little twist of fate there. Ah, there we yeah. go. And so, yeah, that that brings back memories. Then definitely we actually got to know um, Kevin's mom. Um, she would sit behind the net every day and uh, or every game. And so eventually um, I was doing some work with uh, Matt Brown at some point. And um, we got to know her, you know, two or three of my college friends. When you see someone that often and, you know, they're sitting behind the net, you think, OK. And then uh, we kind of asked her, we said, hey, do you do you know Kevin? And she was like, yeah, it's my son. And we we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> so we were extremely nice to her for, from then on. And, and yeah, she was she was great and, and very supportive of her son, obviously. Oh, one would hope. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's interesting to know that the Monarchs games had such a culture, and then the Hurricanes came to town. It's kind of like, hey guys, um, cool. Like, yeah, and I think everyone knowing that the Monarchs were coming back, you know that that also makes it tough to jump allegiances when you know your team's just going to come back eventually. So, actually, speaking of them coming back, how did that? Was the same excitement there from before they left to when they came back post tour games? I will say, yeah, there was definitely a beat lost. Um, you know, I don't know if people, you know, you go year after year and then you miss a couple of years. You know, is it is it a matter of it's hard to come back, you know, as a fan? Or is, you know, did you, did the Hurricanes turn you off by what they did or things like that? But I will say that the, the Monarchs games after the Canes, be it that I got used to an NHL presentation or, you know, be it that, that was the atmosphere it just kind of felt a little less than after the canes left because say what you will about the canes you know in greensboro they did put on a pro product and you know even though the team wasn't flashy the first year you know there were amazing players coming through you know every week you just had the best in the league and when you go back down to the ahl after that it's tough it's 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 tough to you know move that level. Well, John, I thank you so much for time. There there was a bunch in here that I loved, so thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Colin. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking me down memory lane. And there you have it. That was our interview with John Michael, former reporter for Greensboro's News and Record and the then fledgling ESPN.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please share this episode. That way I can get more people to interview and get you guys more great stories like we had today. Consider buying merchandise. There's a link down below. There's a couple of cool shorts, whether it's Defend the Barn or Positive Vibes Only. We're just here to support. Uh, I really appreciate you guys listening. I'll see you next time.